So don't underestimate its power. It's considered an equal partner to the sitting, not a break. Uh, and it's, in my mind, the most portable of what we do here. And even though the formal practice is walking to and fro, we do a lot of walking in our life. And to use your, your steps as a, an anchor to the living present, you just have lots of opportunities. Even quick steps. You can quick steps, practice. quick steps, slow steps. Um, and of course, eating a meal, lifting your arm, putting the food in your mouth, chewing, tasting, swallowing, noticing how quickly you lift, you go for the next bite, look like a helicopter. <laughs> but try to experience that fully. Washing, brushing your teeth, sitting on the toilet, whatever you're doing, it's equal when it comes to mindful attention. It's noticing attention with clear comprehension, what it is that's happening, in a non-judgmental, non-evaluative, non-resistant, non-grasping way, just opening to life as it's presenting itself. And you will see that you have many, many, many opportunities for that. And the more moments that you link together of mindful attention, the more peace you'll have, the more simplicity you'll have, the more a sense of being at home in your life, as opposed to associating your life with, excessively associating your life with trying to be somewhere else or be someone else. It's an opportunity to just be yourself and accompany your experience with, with the fact that you're, you're actually present for it, noticing it. So this is unfortunately the last full sitting that we will have. And so I'm going to offer you all of the general instructions And a reminder again that the instructions are often given in a very gradual, systematic way, just so that you're not overwhelmed by too many things. But it's important to notice, know that the instructions are, as I mentioned before, just descriptions of what you'll notice anyway. So with all that I present right now, you don't have to look for it. You simply have to be available to any one of the different experiences that I highlight in the instructions. So we started with mindfulness of the body, just orienting ourselves to, the, to our general physical presence. And then we highlighted, we gave emphasis to, as the Buddha recommended, mindfulness directed to the experience of breathing, traditionally called anapanasati. Sati is the mindfulness or bare attention. Anapana means to the, to the breathing process. And just to remind you again, the breathing, how do we know that we're breathing? Because we feel the effect of the air on our body. And we'll either feel it as our whole body expanding and contracting, you'll feel it as your chest rising and falling, your belly rising and falling, or you'll feel the air entering and leaving your nostrils. And at first, you may, you may have to experiment with, where do, you, where do I actually experience the breathing? 
I didn't say this before. But after a while, if you most often notice your breath in a particular place in your body, so for me, the Buddha recommended at the, at the nostrils. But I noticed, and many of my other teachers uh, recommended paying attention at the abdomen or the chest, or, or there's one teacher who, many teachers who teach full body breathing, just noticing it. Again, you're not trying to manipulate the breath or control it. You're just trying to notice where in the body you feel the breath. So the first eight years of my practice, I'd, I noticed it at the nostrils. And then I sat with a teacher and I, I started to shift my attention to the belly rising and falling. Now even when I, was, I had chosen an area what, that I was using as my primary anchor, my primary area of focus, I would still notice it from time to time somewhere else in my body. But I would have that as a kind of home base. So it may be a while before, before you find your home base. But you'll notice it all over the place. But once you find that place where you most often notice the breath most clearly, let that be home base. So how many of you found that your home base was your nostrils? How about your belly? Many. How about your chest? How about your whole body? Nobody. <laughs> so wherever that is, you want to feel that experience. You want to sustain that connection through the duration of the in-breath, the out-breath, or the rising and the falling. And just an added, uh, I'll, I'll save this for the instructions, but what I'd like to add now is other physical sensations that may become stronger than the breath while you're practicing. If a sensation, well, I'll just start us in and I'll, I'll just offer it as we go along, but it will include sensations, mental states, states of the heart, states of the mind, thoughts, images, sounds until there's nothing outside of your practice. Everything is included. So please find that posture again that is upright yet relaxed. Find that center point where sitting upright is effortless. You can let your body go. We'll sit for about 25 minutes, 30 minutes. For all of you who are concerned about how long. And once you find that place of balance and ease, I'd like you to close your eyes softly and feel as though you're just completely letting go into this experience of your sitting body sitting and let your body feel in the gentle stillness let it feel like a block of ice that's been left out in the sun all the tension melting away into the openness of your meditation or a stick of butter out in the hot sun melting, melting into aware presence. And 
And if it's helpful, once again, just to feel the various touch points of your rear, your hands, your lips, the soft touch of your eyes. Just move gently between these different touch points. and feel the form or the shape of your body, vibration, pulsing, aliveness. And then once again, connect and sustain the connection to the breathing. Connect with the beginning through the middle, the duration of the in-breath beginning, middle, end of the out-breath. And if you're letting the body breathe naturally without interfering, you'll notice that there's often a space at the end of the out-breath and before the next in-breath. It's often in that space that we drift off into fantasy. So it can be helpful to sustain our awareness even in the space between the breath by finding our body at that time or a touch point. And just hovering there until the next in-breath calls your attention. And just letting the breathing be the primary anchor home base. But if any sound becomes stronger than the breath, and the breath recedes to the background, just be aware of hearing. Just let the sound arise and pass away in that open awareness. When the sound fades away or is no longer compelling, could be a distant sound, a sound in the room, sound of my voice. Once it fades away or is less compelling, then in behalf of staying anchored to this living present, we connect again with our body and our breath. And from time to time, it's likely that, you're, that some sensation in your body, a myriad of sensations, may become stronger than the breath, and the breath again recedes to the background. At whatever point a physical sensation is stronger than the breath, we let it fill our awareness. We let ourselves feel it, experience it. We are mindful of that sensation. There are many things that we can notice about that sensation. We can notice it's, whether it's pleasant, or unpleasant, or whether it's neutral. We can notice its quality. Is it aching, or burning, or stabbing, or itching, or tingling, or coolness, or warmth, vibrating, pulsing? But most important is that we feel that predominant sensation when it's stronger than the breath, and we sustain our awareness of that sensation to see what happens to it. We recognize that 
as a changing condition and as the sensation, even the unpleasant ones, arise and change and as they fade away, become less compelling, predominant, again we reconnect again with our breathing. Maintaining that touchstone to our body as we continue to orient ourselves to the living present. You may be visited also by different states of the heart or mind, states of mind of wanting, of aversion or resistance, of restlessness or worry, agitation, of doubt, fear, other states of calm, of ease, softness, of spaciousness, other emotions, happy, sad, joy, angry, irritation, fear. If any of these mental states or moods or emotions become stronger than the breath, Again, we let the breath recede to the background and we let ourselves feel often a physical corollary to whatever mental state may be occurring. It's often a felt sense of sadness or wanting, felt sense of anger. We're great at thinking about them, we're not so good at feeling them, so we just feel what it's like to feel sad or angry or joyful. We recognize whatever mental state or mood or emotion, we recognize it as a changing condition, like the weather. We don't interfere. We don't try to stop it or make anything happen. We meet it with mindfulness, a non-interfering, non-judgmental awareness. And when the state of mind fades, or is less predominant, again, we connect with our breath. Finally, if thoughts and Im or images arise in our mind, we recognize them like clouds floating through an empty sky. They are really no more real than this. They're empty bubbles. And over the course of seeing the arising and passing of thoughts, we will see certain common themes in our thoughts. We can notice the planning mind, the judging mind, comparing mind, rehearsing, drafting, remembering, judging. We're less interested in the content of the thoughts, the particulars, much more interested in the process, the common processes of thinking. We let the thoughts arise and pass. Thoughts are to our mind like a sound is to our ear. Just another sense experience to be noticed. Finally, if images arise in our mind, colors, lights, whatever it might be, pictures, we simply treat that as as seeing, inner sight, 
We also notice that the inner sights, images as changing conditions, appearing and disappearing. Everything is changing. And we know ourselves by noticing, welcoming everything. Everything is equal in the light of mindfulness, the light of awareness. So again, no need to look for any of these experiences. Settle back into the moment. Settle into the intimate experience of breathing. And only when one of these experiences becomes stronger than the breath do we welcome it. Do we treat it then as the next experience to notice? Just this moment, just this breath, or whatever is predominant. Nothing to do about what's happening, nothing to undo. Alert, soft, gentle, precise. Clear comprehension of what it is that's happening in this unfolding present moment. Just this moment. Just this breath. Mindfulness has no agenda other than to notice what is present. When we talk about letting go, it is letting go of interference, of manipulation, It is an opening to things just the way they are. It is seen clearly. Just this moment. Is there awareness right now? What are you aware of? from a teacher named Bhante Gunaratna. Somewhere in the process of meditation, you will come face to face with the sudden realization that you are completely crazy. (laughs) 
Your mind is a shrieking madhouse on wheels barreling down the hill, utterly out of control and hopeless. No problem. You're not any crazier than you were yesterday. It's always been this way and you never noticed. Anyway, it's actually good news. While you're, they say as you're, once you start seeing your craziness, as your craziness diminishes, the light by which you notice them gets brighter. So, um, that we, that we notice our maladies or we notice our craziness when the cure begins. So, that's good. So any questions, comments about what you noticed in the sitting or the walking? We have a few minutes for any questions about the instructions of working with physical sensations, working with moods, working with thoughts, images, sounds, or anything that you noticed or descriptions, please. Um, oh, sorry, thanks. First, first I, um, I was unsure like how to walk. <laughs> I felt like it was the first time I was ever walking because usually I walk really fast. And this time, it really took me a long time to figure out how to walk. How to walk. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah. I just couldn't. I was just like, whoa. So it's a, a good little mantra to take with you is, is just to say to yourself inwardly, very simply, my body knows how to walk. Yeah. And then just, and the, your job is just to notice what that's like. And of course, it is, does take an adjustment when we slow down a little bit. We're used to head, you know, our leaning forward. And so to be settled back into the moment and walking and inhabiting our steps is actually a, a, a rare thing. Yes. So, but the good news is, is you can do that anywhere, anytime. So you can spend the next part of your life learning how to walk. <laughs> Thank you. And the second thing was, I wasn't, after I figured out how to walk, it was a little bit difficult for me. I wasn't sure what I was supposed to be focusing on, so I was just kind of noticing everything. Yeah, actually, the, I was, as I mentioned in the instructions, the contact of your feet on the ground, the movement of your legs through space. It's all about feeling, having your mind settled into your body. So you want to feel your body. You just co connect again and again to the felt experience of your body. If, of course, you will be drawn to noticing things, especially if you're outside. But if you really give yourself to just connecting with your body again and again, if you do stop at a certain point and take everything in, you'll find that you're that much more connected to everything around you. But if, on the other hand, you're feeling your steps a little bit, then you're looking here, looking there, like my brother calls it being like a beacon, beacon head, your mind will start proliferating and thinking about everything you're seeing and, and it won't steady. So we're trying to create the conditions for a certain kind of steadiness, a certain focus, a calmness, but that actually makes it possible to feel a deeper intimacy with your surroundings. But at first you want to just feel the steps. Feel the steps, feel the legs moving through space. Whatever brings your mind into your body. Yeah. Please, over here. So all these supposedly good ideas of things to do came into my mind. I felt like having a, a notepad right next to me. Just oh, to yeah, your, to do, your, your creative uh, flourish came. Yes. So was that a good idea or what? <laughs> well, we generally want to treat that as just noticing, oh, there's the creative flourish, and just notice the process and not feed it. But if it's so, if you get into a conflict with 
wor or worry about I'm going to miss that epiphany that I just had, then it doesn't hurt to have to write a, one word down or two words. But in general, if it's really important, it will, it will be available to you at another time. Um, and it's inevitable that when you're quiet, that, that creative process opens up and so many things become, we become aware of their unfinished business, aware of past, aware of so many different things. And so it's very fertile. It's an open field of creative possibility. So you will notice that. But if you're training in mindfulness, there's no thought worth thinking. It's just everything's equal. Uh, you had your hand, and then I'll, I'll get to you next. I found during the walking it was really easy. It was just amazing, easy to stop rehearsing, to stop planning. And I tried a few times to walk with my eyes closed, and it really felt like floating. It was a very odd sensation. Yes. I find when I'm sitting here, though, um, I, you know, I love the feeling of you know trying to find the center, but eventually my legs get tired. Yes. Um, feeling cramped. What, what do you recommend? Uh, the process of learning how to sit is, it's a training. And our bodies are not, are not trained to sit in a sustained way. And so at first you will experience, you'll, one, you'll have to experiment with where you can most comfortably sit in a sustained way and sit relatively still. But no matter what posture you find, and no matter how long you practice, eventually sitting still will produce things that are unpleasant or hard, hard to bear. And so we ultimately use each of those things in our practice as something to pay attention to. In fact, it becomes such a, a source of insight and wisdom and compassion. Insight and wisdom in that you see that pain and discomfort are inevitable. But whether or not you suffer about that has everything to do, not with the fact that you're experiencing unpleasant, but it has everything to do with the way you're relating to it. So we're learning how mindfulness relates to everything with openness, with not compounding a, a particular physical stress, compounding it with reactivity. So we want to learn to have unpleasantness, but not suffer. But we've got those two so fused together. If it's painful, we're suffering and we've got to do something. But it's possible to learn how to, to have all manner of unpleasant things and have your mind be in a happy state, in a balanced state, in a non-reactive state, to not have to, um, not have to go crazy, not have to be constantly looking for a pleasant experience. Having said that, Sometimes, no matter how much you open to your experience, your mind is just getting, will get so reactive to it. It'll get afraid or you'll, you'll start tightening up and, and the, whatever difficulty you're experiencing will compound. At that time, it's no longer wise or loving to sustain that posture. At that point, you want to actually refresh it, change it a little bit. But any kind of change that you make to your posture at that moment when you can't accommodate it anymore, any kind of change you want to do it so deliberately that there's no break in your attention. So nothing automatic, no reactive movements. Just if I need to straighten my knee because my, my leg's fallen asleep, I notice the mental impulse to do that and I mindfully experience that straightening 
So it's as though I've never lost that current of awareness. Bring it back very mindfully. No change. Every time we make reactive movements, it's as though we've been trying to boil water, and it's like you're taking the kettle off the stove. So we want to keep the kettle boiling, but lovingly, wisely. So it's no longer wise if you're going, if you're going crazy. You had your hand up, please. meditation to situations in your life where you're overcome with emotion and you you how do you come back to that feeling of not being overwhelmed or back so, to your body when you're not in meditation yeah. you mean you mean when you're experiencing a strong emotion in your daily life in the yes. course of well in the same way as learning how to sit learning how to accommodate our emotional life and be able to keep, our, keep a certain kind of presence is also an acquired taste. And we're, like I said before, we're great at thinking about feelings, not so good at feeling them. If we just develop the habit of being current with ourselves and our emotions, they will often not build up to the point where we're flooded, so overwhelmed. But from time to time we are. And the same way is true as with something very difficult to bear physically, if we're experiencing a strong emotion, no matter where we are. Ideally, you want to just let yourself feel it. If you find that you're getting overwhelmed by it and you're reacting to it and it's building and building and building and compounding, at that time, you want to stay, at, stay aware. You want to stay aware, but you want to either somewhere in your body or somewhere in your external environment, look for something, shift your attention to something that you can accommodate. So even in the midst of being overwhelmed, you could probably find, shift your attention to your hands. Some place in your body that's either neutral or even slightly pleasant. And you just take your attention there, and what it does is it reminds our, it reminds our mind that the whole world is not this overwhelming emotion that right in the middle of it, there's a resource. And, I, and because I stayed attentive and just didn't check out, I, I can then slowly metabolize that feeling by shifting back and forth between that neutral experience and then the emotion. And I can breathe, I can stay present, I can stay aware, I can feel things in my body, and that is the source of, of metabolizing. That is the way we metabolize even in our most deepest past traumas is by awareness and breath and feeling, <coughs> feeling them. But sometimes it's too much and so we have to resource. And the other thing to notice, uh, you know, meditatively it's different and it, it takes a little skill in this, but very often what's turning something into overwhelm is not the feeling itself, but it's the way we're relating to it again. And so if you're noticing that you're getting very afraid of a feeling or something, then you want to turn away from the main feeling and turn toward the reaction that you're having, the, the fear that you're having, or the, or the attitude. And so, but sometimes that's a little too subtle at first. So just finding a simple sensation can go a long way to, to helping to find some balance and ease. So the whole point is to develop balance and ease so that we can accommodate what's going on. It's not to get away from something. That's never made anybody happy, trying to get away from things. 
The way out is in. The cure for pain is in the pain. Last one, any, any comments, questions about the instruction? Anything you noticed sitting, walking? Okay, we're, we're in the I final. I had a funny thing. walking thing I'd like to share. So Please. I always had difficulty walking too. And today, wow, I really was doing it up on the, on the ridge. And I was really feeling it, counting the steps. I love your suggestion about step, step. All of a sudden, whack. Like somebody had come up behind me and hit me on the shoulder. It was a, a berry fell out of the tree. <laughs> the irony wasn't lost on me. It was like, okay, awareness. And, and uh, Beautiful. There, there it was. <laughs> then I had a double awareness. I'm like, oh, I'm going to take that home and put it on the, on the altar with Buddha. But then I thought, well, no, maybe planning, one of the... Planning, planning. <laughs> no, I think one of the critters here might like to eat that. So ah, I left very it there. Beautiful thought. It's nice. Isn't it amazing how fertile our minds are? <laughs> and we don't have to stop that. You just notice it. It's just all part of the display of our consciousness. It's miraculous and mysterious how all that happens. But we are at the end of our time today. It's kind of boom. I highly recommend that you do a sustained period. <laughs> more than three hours, come to any number of day-longs that they have at Spirit Rock, come to a residential retreat. This place was originally built to, I think the heart of Spirit Rock was, at least the original mandala was to support people doing intensive practice to where, where this really took root in your life. The vision has expanded to be just as, you know, to have an equal importance to uh, our daily life and how to carry the spirit of mindful attention and loving kindness in our daily life. But it really does help if you spend some time um, really doing it in a continuous way and be supported where you don't have to do anything else for that time that you're here other than train your attention to be present. You'll find that it, uh, it will help you carry on that practice in your daily life. And also finding a group to sit with Consult the Spirit Rock newsletter. If any of you want to sit with me, go to my website, missiondharma.org, Mission Dharma. But it's also, the information should be available in the Spirit Rock newsletter and on the Spirit Rock website. Where is that? Where are you? I'm at uh, Mission Dharma. Literally every Tuesday for, it'll be 31 years in January, every Tuesday in the Mission District in San Francisco. 15th, 15th and Julian, that's between Mission and Valencia at 15th, and uh, it's usually, you know, it's a feast, you know, a lot of people, and so it's, you'll, get a, you'll feel a little support, a good reminder every week. If it's not my group, find another group to sit with. If you don't, can't find another group, start one with your friends. And uh, just a great thing to do, to share with other people, and not just to receive from the support of other people, but to offer. It's a, it's a generous act to show up at a group as well. So there's that. And then, last but not least, the way these teachings have been carried on for 2,500 years, 2,600 years, the way they've always been offered from the beginning, maybe most of you know about this already, they've always been offered freely. And the teachings have been offered freely. You may have paid to help support the 70% of what it costs for Spirit Rock to run, but nothing ever goes to the teachers of what you offer. Uh, up to this point, the model may have to change when we open the new hall. There's going to be a, maybe some kind of built-in support for the people who teach because the teachers are having a hard time surviving, just to tell you the truth. But in the meantime, 
in keeping with the Buddha's teaching, the teachings have always been offered freely because they're considered priceless. Two, so they're accessible to everyone. Three, because the, the emphasis in the Buddha's teaching on the, on the practice of generosity. So the teachers and monks, nuns offer the teachings as their practice of generosity. And the lay people always, for all these thousands of years, have practiced as their practice of generosity, have supported the requisites, the needs of the nuns and the monks, and today the lay people. Of course, we have car payments, mortgages, whatever it is. So it's a little different being lay teachers these days, but we've tried to operate in the same way, where the cost is kept to a percentage of what it costs for you to actually be here, and then the other 30% of what it costs for you to be here, people have donated to the operating budget of Spirit Rock as a gesture of generosity. And the teachings have been offered freely. And there's always an invitation, though, uh, for you to support the teachings, the teachers, uh, by practicing not only just paying the fee for, the, for being here, but practicing generosity and, uh, in a sense, paying it forward. Engaging in that relationship of wanting to support teachings being able to be offered. Because you off, when you offer what we call dana or generosity, you offer to the next group that I'm able to be with or whatever teacher is taking this seat. And this is literally this, this giving and receiving, this mutual generosity, this cycle is what has carried the teachings um, through these 2,600 years. Very different than our usual fee-for-service model where you, there's a transaction, you pay whatever you think it's worth, and then it's over. This is much more about wanting to support both yourself and others be able to have teachings and have them continue. So I hope you enjoy the practice of dana and thank you in advance for any generosity that, that comes my way. And uh, it does allow me to keep doing this. And uh, I, it, a simple way of putting it is if you take care of me, I can keep taking care of you and vice versa. It just goes on that way. And, but it's completely optional and, uh, and it's not really a tip um, because I don't get paid uh, unless you support me. Anyway, thank you. And, and sorry there's to, a basket on the table. And there's the a table. basket on the table outside. outside a couple the baskets, baskets are on the table as you came in. Yes. And thank you so much for your presence today. And please sit every day. Sit, 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 sit. And, and do everything you do mindfully. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.